Hey everyone, welcome to Reads and Weeds. This is the show where we smoke weed and read books or just read books. <laughs> Usually I smoke weed, but not everybody does and that's okay. I am so excited because I am on today with Beth Doherty, formerly Beth Gardner, who I think I've known <laughs> since the fourth grade. Oh my gosh. And I think we've known each other since the fourth grade. Um, and we have managed to stay connected through social media, even though we haven't lived in the same state in maybe 30 years or something. <laughs> and we, uh, we grew up together. There's a whole lot there. And I, I sang in her wedding. Yes. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> So we, we we have both been doing artistic endeavors for years and years and years. So we talk to each other and, and Beth would make comments on Reads and Weeds social media. And I was always just so excited to hear from her and really grateful that we're going to be talking about The Artist's Way, yes. which is a book that I have been hearing about and dabbling in for years and years, but I've never sat down and worked through it, even though it's been out since 1992. <laughs> So the artist's way by Julia Cameron is what we're talking about. So, welcome, Beth. Thank you. So Yay. happy to be here. <laughs> Yay! So another thing you need to know is right now I am in Michigan and a snowstorm is starting. There are warnings. It's January 11th, and uh, the warnings seem to be true. It's snowing sideways. So, <laughs> um, but Beth, tell me where you are and what time it is there. What's going on? I am in Kaiserslautern, Germany, and it is 8.13 p.m. Okay. We are below freezing, but we don't have any snow, and it's just dark. It's winter in Germany, so it gets dark about like 4.30. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was what was hard, was I was wanting to get Beth on, and we, were, you know, in my mind, I was like, oh, this is going to be too hard because she's busy, and she's in a different time zone, and um, so I'm so glad you made it work. So I want to ask a question that I ask a lot of guests is, do you have a memory of first meeting me or significant memories from the first couple of years of knowing me? Okay. I think that, so you said fourth grade. I thought it was fourth like grade. Two memories of fourth grade, I think. <laughs> Were you in Miss Galt's class? I was in Miss Crocker's class. Yeah, I okay. Ms. So it wasn't Those from there. But those were the two cool classes though. Okay. Right. The, um, one of my, like when I think back, one of my first big memories is that we were cheerleaders on the same cheerleading squad. Yes. Remember that in ninth grade? Was it ninth grade? Ninth grade. <laughs> yes, of course. And that was probably the first time I have like extended memories of you. I, I don't know why I'd, I have, I just can't remember a lot from when I was younger. Oh yeah. What's the point? It's like, but, I grew up in Boiling Springs, South Carolina, <laughs> the end. <laughs> no, no, no. I, the reason I think I remember meeting you and Christina Walton on the same day, uh, mm -hmm. and you were together at lunch coming from your class or whatever, and she was really small, and you were taller than her, and you guys <laughs> were hanging around together, and I was fixated on it. I was like, who are they? Why That's is she so, so tall, and she's so short? Why is she much, so much taller than me, and she's so much shorter than me? I don't know why that's in my head, but we sat at the same table or something, and because you guys were sort of being friends, I wanted, to, I wanted a bestie. <laughs> yeah, I know, because you and Christina were so close. 
I think I was friends with her. Yeah, when we were in elementary school. You know, elementary I school. She was always very feisty. Talking about, I mean, this is way off topic, but lunch in fourth grade, that was always traumatic because the teacher we had made everybody, this was like before kids, you didn't bring your lunch, everybody just came and had school lunch. Yes, yes. Made everybody, you had to eat everything on your plate, but one item. Sometimes you could have one item. So some days that would be fine. And then other days we would have like, a gross piece of chicken and like beans or like all these disgusting foods and wow people leave the the cafeteria until you ate your food so kids would take their like their beans or something and try to put them in their milk carton to hide it oh my so gosh get dismissed from the cafeteria and wow. one time um christina and another kid they didn't eat something that was on their plate and yeah. she made them come back in the classroom and stand in front of the class with their food like like you know what i'm saying like they didn't have their nose in the corner but it was something like that and oh my was, gosh yeah, to make them eat their food and as an adult looking back on that that was so that seems ridiculous. real wrong yeah something <laughs> so wrong. wrong like how did that lady get away with that but anyway. oh my god i that's that sounds Oh, and that's that's weird. I have no well, no, I do have I do have some cafeteria memories, but they're mostly like the triangle kind of milk carton pyramid thing. Yeah. Remember it was shaped kind of like a little pyramid? <laughs> yes. I was fascinated. I was just like, chocolate milk and pizza, okay. And this yeah. is in a pyramid shape. All right, that's fine. Um, yeah, and so my other memory, and when Beth we're on Zoom, and when Beth first came on the Zoom, she has uh, on a shelf over her right shoulder is an, the bust of an Elvis. And so I have a memory. It might be made up, but I feel like Beth and I were on the sidelines at the football field in, like, ninth grade, and me and you and Leslie Clement oh just – we just messed everything up. We didn't mess everything up. We just did not take anything seriously. We weren't like serious cheerleaders. We were just playing. You know, right. we needed to be hyper. We wanted to be on the sidelines together and dance around and be silly. We weren't trying to like do a backflip <laughs> or <laughs> or be the best dancer. We were just like, woo, yeah. cheerleading. Oh, that's so not funny caring about anything and then my other my, I guess my two other big significant swaths of memory are so Beth and I grew up in Boiling Springs South Carolina and then she went to university I mean Columbia University of South Carolina and I went to college Charleston but her and her roommate and another dear friend of ours Hope moved to Charleston and we lived together in a crazy house oh, yes. with a crazy <laughs> People have worked crazy jobs in uh, a crazy like summer. And, 10 people um, in a one-bedroom apartment. <laughs> yeah. Well, they were just, I just pictured like large random rooms in that place on Queen Street with just people yeah. dwelling kind of everywhere. It yeah. just it was so strange. Um, but we would have these, if we all had a day off on the same day, we would go to the beach yeah. and bring all the alcohol and food and <laughs> stay there all day getting so burnt and just drinking. I think about it now. I'm like, I would die. I would die. If I sat out in the sun for eight hours drinking, I would be, a, I would be a wreck. <laughs> And, and like, don't, don't you wish you could tell your younger self, like, wear sunscreen? <laughs> Do you like having great big spots all over your body? Because no, that's what's happening. <laughs> You're a white lady in the South. Yeah. This is what's going to happen to you. Um, but we would have so much fun. And then we would, like, go to some big 
buffet afterwards right. <laughs> just pig out oh my god and then I got the opportunity to sing in your wedding which was this wonderful thing and what year was that 1998 oh my gosh yes yeah, so wow I don't remember what I sang do you remember it was the doxology oh I, that's right yeah I don't know why that's we right. had that at a wedding but you know what's so funny Shelly oh my gosh so in my book, one of my Julia Cameron books, is mm -hmm. the program, I guess, to my wedding. I don't know why I put it in there. Oh, my gosh. I, I knew it wouldn't get messed up. That's so funny. Oh, wow. I on it, but oh, yes. If I get it out in this conversation. I remember, I remember being in a little room with your mom and Hope and a couple yeah. other people, and we were all making bouquets or... Yes, yes. That was a yes. studio. Yes. Oh. Oh my gosh. So wonderful. So wonderful. You have a better memory than me. Yeah. Well, I've just been thinking about it a lot the last couple of days and thinking about how you and Hope were inspiring to me when I was younger because you just started making things and going to shows. You were painting early because your mom is an art artist, right? right? Yeah. Right. And you were both, you were both in art classes in school. In high school, you took painting and right you took our classes and I I didn't um and so you seemed that just seemed like another world that I wanted to be involved with you know and I was impressed that you guys would oh you know what I have of yours is you made these cigar boxes yeah. <laughs> that were covered with you know they were sort of modge podge and, and collage type boxes that I keep little things in. They're really pretty. I think I have one still. Oh, like, wow. I, I think I still yeah. have one. Yeah. And y'all would go set up and and sell at a little market or something. And I was just so impressed that you did that. Um, but it's so funny I'm, you say that because when I think back about that, I just like think back on that time of my life as like I was really such an idiot back then. Does that make sense? And like all the, <laughs> dumb, the dumb things that I did. And I don't even remember that. Like I don't even give myself credit because I, oh, would tell yeah. you, I would tell you that I remember being super impressed by you. Do you remember one time that a group of us, we all went to Atlanta and we stayed in a house and I remember you would like get up and you would write in the morning and you had these books and you were like, doing all this thoughtful reading and writing and i just remember oh my leaving, gosh yeah i remember leaving that weekend and being like like wow shelly is like so deep like she just thinks about things and being wow would that you. have been would that have been why would we have been in atlanta was it somebody's like it was hope's aunt's house oh. i don't remember why we were all there right we just mm -hmm. like Oh, it was the end of a summer when I was selling books. And I think I came back and we all went there. And oh my gosh, that's right. That was cool weekend. I think I have pictures from that weekend. Oh my gosh. Well, I've always had a notebook, you know, when I think back to being a little, when I started, you know, thinking about these morning pages, I feel like a little bit advanced because I write all the time. And really the hardest part about it is, um, in my in my lap, I have a notebook that was going to be just my my uh, 
artist way notebook but then I also had this notebook that I was already writing in on a regular basis right. but then I have this notebook which I just got out because <laughs> I wanted to be specifically something else you know sure. so I don't well let, let's talk a little bit about the artist way so basically Julia Cameron so this book was published in 1992 and in the 70s 80s Julia Cameron was a writer a screenwriter a poet um I just read just right before we got on that she was married to Martin Scorsese for one year yeah. <laughs> they had oh for only one year interesting for only one year they had I think it was like 76 77 they were married right. and that has nothing to do with anything except she has a child who is out there in the world and she was becoming sober and really alcohol and drugs had sort of run her life into the ground a little bit and she really wanted to climb out and find new creative confidence and started these practices because she heard herself being afraid, like, I'm going to be a drunk if I'm an artist, or I'm going to go crazy if I'm an artist, or I'm going to be blocked if I'm not drunk if I'm an artist. And she needed to work her way back towards her own creative confidence and get the blocks out of the way and put some disciplines in place. And when she started doing this, she then ended up helping someone else do this. And then she started helping someone else do this. And then she started compiling it all together into books and seminars and workshops and has done this work with the writers and painters and musicians and um, filmmakers and bassoonists and, and, and anybody that thinks or doesn't think they have a creative passion. Um, so whoever wants to can pick up this book if they're wondering like I think I should be doing something creative you know like I feel like people are probably called to this book so um was that a pretty good you're much more familiar with the book than me but is that a pretty good summary I think so I, I think though I would add that it is a book that is meant to be done in 12 weeks it's kind of like a program so you yes. read it section by section mm -hmm. for a week so it's not like maybe that you had thought before, like, I'm just going to sit down and right. read this book over the weekend. And Yes, uh, <laughs> it is good to know. Yes, listeners, you don't want to whip through this book. You don't want to have like nine <laughs> books going, and this is one of them. You want right. to, and it's really, I like that about how it's laid out because it causes you to dedicate yourself to thinking about it, which yes. is kind of the point is, right. It's valuable to dedicate your mind to thinking about what it is that you want to express and why you can't do it or how you can get yourself to do it or or, or whatever. So um, when do you think you first encountered it and what brought you to it and what was the first time like? Do you remember all that? Okay, so I first did it in the uh, probably the middle 90s, so not very long after it had come out. My mother did okay. it. Okay. And that could have been like just a few years after it was out my mother did it loved it she was a full-time art teacher and mm -hmm. she decided she was gonna pare her job down to part-time and then paint in the studio the rest of the time and she did that and so it really was life-changing for her so i did yes. this i'll be honest with you i don't even remember if i finished it or not mm -hmm. and I don't, I don't hardly remember anything from it, but then in my book, 
Like I've got this highlighted book. I did it in 2012 mm-hmm. with a friend and I did it again, I guess in 2013. And then I did it last year. So, wow. And when I did it with my friend, I think that was helpful because I'm a person I need, like I do better with accountability. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. really kept up with it. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in your most recent memory, when you're working through it, because we'll take a minute and describe what you think is your, are your mediums. Cause I think of you as a painter, but also you're a creator. You're like a maker. So you do still lives. You make, you do theater art. What am I trying to say? Scenery, yeah. scene painting. Oh. So what are your main creative focuses over the years? Like, what would you say are your sculpting, painting, drawing, what it yeah, I think it's painting is the main thing. And then like, that's what I'm always trying to get to. Mm-hmm. But I do, I've done a lot of theater and like theater sets and props. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I also like working with kids. Like, yes. Kids. So, uh, And do you teach? Do you teach art with kids there? Yeah, I do. Yes. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. That's <laughs> so fun. I am going to talk about the basic principles. One of the things is thinking of creativity as your spiritual path, right? Which I would say has been my way for years and years, you know, just understanding that I may have grown up with a certain kind of spirituality sort of imposed on me just from where I grew up, you know, but it was never a spark. It didn't feel like a spark or an understanding or an unveiling or a seeking. It just kind of felt like this is what people here do and say. And I guess that's what I'm supposed to do and say, but it wasn't until I started experiencing things like choreography and theater and improv and singing harmonies and writing and things like that, that I, that I was like, oh, this is what it feels like to be connected to your creator and to understand sort of unlocking your mind and heart and all of that, understanding music and the community that happens when people create art and all that. So basic principles, page three, when we're just getting into it, I'm just going to read them because I think this is a good foundation So creativity is the natural order of life. Life is energy, pure creative energy. Two, there is an underlying indwelling creative force infusing all of life, including ourselves. Three, when we open ourselves to our creativity, we open ourselves to the creator's creativity within us and our lives. Four, we are ourselves creations. And we in turn are meant to continue creativity by being creative ourselves. Five, creativity is God's gift to us. Using our creativity is our gift back to God. Six, the refusal to be creative is self-will and is counter to our true nature. Seven, when we open ourselves to exploring our creativity, we open ourselves to God. Good orderly direction. Eight, as we open our creative channel to the creator, many gentle but powerful changes are to be expected. Nine, it is safe to open ourselves up to greater and greater creativity. And 10, our creative dreams and yearnings come from a divine source. As we move towards our dreams, we move towards our divinity. So I wanted to go through those because I feel like even if that's all you had, 
like if that was just on your wall in front of where you write or where you paint it's so much it's so much and the one that there's two like number five and six creativity is god's gift to us using our creativity as our gift back to god and the refusal to be creative is self-will and counter to our true nature those two things for me are very freeing feelings like i because it's very very counter to sort of growing up in a capitalistic sort of structure sure. where um unless you happen to have you know family who's artistic or very, somebody very encouraging in your life you can think that it's not a valuable thing yeah and I think it's maybe gotten a, a little bit better now but we grew up in the 70s and 80s and I don't feel I went to dance classes I did yeah. do that well, I think about when I, the, the creative things that I did, it was more like, let's wear her out, you know, Shelly right. is hyper. So if we put her in dance That's lessons funny. and piano lessons and she's a cheerleader, you know, eventually she'll get tired and go to bed, <laughs> you know, but as I've grown, when I think about the refusal to creative, to be creative is self-will, I think about all the different episodes in my life where refusing to act on a creative desire basically made me sick yes I agree can you relate oh, you yeah. can relate to that yeah oh yeah so so tell me about these principles like now that you've done the book several times were there any that used to be like eh whatever but now they dwell in you you know like you've embodied them um I don't think that I ever had any not I don't know if issues is the right word I don't think that any of these ever um, stood out to me like thinking like oh this is wrong or I didn't ever agree with them yeah I think same thing as you like yeah it is freeing to think like oh like you know creativity is God's gift to me and I'm supposed to use it you know it's not yes. just this, yes. like crazy imagination I have and then but I'm really over here doing this nine to five job yes so yes I, I appreciate all that for sure I yes. did this um, last year one of the people that I was doing it with was an atheist and I I didn't even think about that before well, re uh, recommending the book yeah and I didn't remember how it's not religious I don't want to say it's religious but no she talks about it's not God a lot right and well and her like definition of God on. is mm -hmm. yeah the definition of God if you're thinking about reading this it's I don't I wouldn't say it's a religious book. I think it's a book, it's a spiritual path. And this particular right. spiritual path is understanding that your create creativity comes from a divine source. Yes. Like right? the creator. Yeah. And yes. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I'm not even exactly sure what an atheist believes, but right. I, to me, this was, you know, made sense. Yeah. But one I of the basic... maybe like you in the South in a fundamental religion. And, you know, if you were going to serve God, then you did something with the church. You know what I mean? And like, right. I don't even think I thought about spirituality until much later. It oh, was just yeah. Religion, you know? Right. So... Right. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. Like, how did this help the church? Well, it doesn't. So why would I do this? You know, who is right. this serving? And thinking of the, and even that phrase, the church is like, that's when I used to think of the church as like a building, like yes. that is the church instead of right. like the church, you know, the people, yeah. the group of believers, wherever they happen to be. It's, it's so strange to think about it now, but wow, the spiritual path. It, it's very interesting. I was think writing about this a few days ago about when you're young, if you decide at some age when you're young or even when you're older and you sort of put out there, I want to, I want to seek God or I want to seek the truth or I want to go on a spiritual path. You might have a picture of, of how that's supposed to go, of how wisdom's going to be revealed to you and how, what's going to be important. You might picture yourself like serving in a little committee or like, yeah singing in a choir or something and it might have nothing to do with any of that if you're really committed to the spiritual path it might take you way out way out to where your faith and your way of being is stretched in all different directions for me sort of surrendering to a creative nature is the closest i get to feeling connected in that way it's the most true way for me so one of the things that this artist is acknowledging right away is that there's a sensor in a lot of our minds when it comes to creating whatever our art is. And it's something that for some of us comes from a real source. Like we had a teacher that said, you're just not that good. Or we had a parent who said, you can't do that. You have to do something else or you'll never whatever. make a living. Yes, you'll never make a living or you're just not good, you know. And so one of the things that like the first couple of chapters are about coming out of that or, or facing it. So can you talk a little bit about core negative beliefs and like why the morning pages help? Well, I think that with the morning pages, you are re sort of rewriting your core negative beliefs mm -hmm. and i mean if you think of a belief is just a thought you think over and over and over again mm -hmm. and so the more i think that you write about it in your morning pages so the idea is you would get up in the morning and try to do it first thing write three stream of consciousness pages just it's my understanding you just write whatever you don't yeah. censor yourself so you could write i'm tired for three whole pages and that would count right right or, right right start writing and for me I find about a page and a half in that I kind of cut through the mental chatter and then mm -hmm. writing things that mean something but I think that the pages is where it helps you sort of rewrite your beliefs or at least maybe honestly look and sort of face your beliefs mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you can sort of see where they're coming from yeah question them yeah because you've been painting for so long and you're very skilled and you teach and your mom was a painter and like, what does your sensor say? Is there, are there beliefs that you have that surprise you that are negative when you actually name them? Sure. Yes. <laughs> and sadly, a lot of them are the same ones that I've had for years. So I don't know how long it takes before you can sort of write them out of your system. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, beliefs around self-worth, uh, beliefs around because talking about creativity, a lot of times the things that come easily to you, you discount. 
because they're easy, right? We have an idea yes. that something has to be expensive or really hard to get before it's worth something. So if you can just like sing flawlessly or you can write or you can do all these things that come easy to you, you know, I don't know if you're maybe getting a big paycheck, then maybe that makes it feel like it's worth it. I don't know. Maybe those people don't feel like it's, you know, maybe they think they're frauds. I don't know, but I don't yeah, this, but maybe. Yeah. So maybe what I've know. noticed yeah. is I've been doing that exercise of, well, I've been doing the pages and trying to go back and find, find like where, where did my old enemies come from? And I remember I started thinking about, do you remember when my brothers were in a band? I'm not sure. I remember one of them they were on stage, but I don't know if it's the same thing. You remember what? I remember like Joey singing on stage, but I don't know if that's the same. Yeah. Well, they the were in this thing. band. They like Joey was playing the drums okay. and Robbie was singing and they were at this little music school and the guy teaching at the music school knew that he had all these kids that were really good at what they did. Yeah. And he put them together into a little band. It's called Aspen. Okay. I was probably like seven. Uh -huh. So I, when I think about how much of a, a groupie hippie music festival person I still am, I'm like, uh, I was born into it kind of, right. you know, like yeah. my, one of my first memories is my mom playing the piano and the choir, you know, my brothers were in this band, but I wasn't in it. I was like on the outside looking in, I, I wasn't in the band. And I wanted to be in the band, but I wasn't in the band, you know? And then when I was taking dance lessons, there were people who, you know, you could hear the teachers going like, oh, she's really good. We're going to put her in the front. Oh, she does this and that, but it was never me. So I think my okay. artistic feeling over my memory was like, oh, you're more of a sideliner. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. That's what kept coming up. You're over here. Right. You're not in the middle ever. That's not your role. You know, that I I just <laughs> uncovered that in the last few days is oh, this, gosh. this through line of like, well, you're not going to be the main role you yeah. know, ever. You're going to be the littlest sister. You know, you're going to be Robbie's sister or Joey's sister or the sister of the girl and of the people in the band yeah. or Barbara's daughter. And she's the one that plays the piano, but not you. You know, you're just going to be over here. Even as a theater major in college, I switched from chemistry to theater as a senior. Really? Oh, I didn't yes. know that. Mm -hmm. I was wow. a chemistry major until my senior year. And I remember being so in chemistry smart, one day. Huh? That's so smart, Shelly. Chemistry. So smart. <laughs> well, no, I wanted to, you know what it was, is it was my, one of my very first realizations that like, I was, this is a whole life thing. Like yeah. doing this, it's a whole life thing. I'm <laughs> doing something that seems valuable, like being a chemistry major is kind of like yeah. pre-med or something. Oh, and that's yeah. smart mm -hmm. because that means that you're smart and people like that and you're balanced yes. and normal. <laughs> but you when I went to, I, I took a, I took a theater class as an elective, mm -hmm. like middle of my junior year, beginning of my junior year, and was so impressed, like so much more impressed with people who could get up on stage and be confident. I was just like, how do you do that? <laughs> like, how can you do that? But like being in a lab all the time and 
having not great eyes, like constantly looking at a beaker and <laughs> measuring things and getting it wrong because I can't see. And one day I looked around and all these people in the lab were having fun. They were like laughing in the lab. Oh, they're doing this because they like it. <laughs> oh, wow. Why? Doing this. Like, who am I? Who am I pretending to be? Hello. <laughs> For sure. Well, I wanted to be a physical therapist. And I thought that was, you know, the path. And yeah. there was other people in that kind of pre-med. But what suddenly turned me around was kind of this like, oh, it feels more challenging to me to try to do what those people are doing. Those people who can just stand up and say something on stage and interact with strangers that they just met. And yeah. I couldn't, I just couldn't believe that people had the confidence to do that. You know, <laughs> that was the first time I think I had to choose between like, this is the sort of smart looking thing. And this seems a bit frivolous, but more important at the moment, you know, way more important. And I feel like I've made that decision a thousand times since then. Oh, that's good. Well, so yeah. then thinking of like your sensors and the morning pages and those memories of, um, you know, not being in the band and all that, have you been able yeah. to kind of rewrite them in your morning pages? Because yeah, as well, an adult looking back, I would think that like if you were seven, then you probably just weren't old enough to be in the band. You know, it probably had nothing to do with you. <laughs> Maybe your mother wasn't yeah. paying for you to take those lessons. Baby. So like, oh, yeah. Those oh, no, it's ridiculous. Not You're not enrolled. No. But they were all kids. That's the thing okay. is it was a band of kids that just happened to be really talented. And they didn't yeah. care. That's the thing is Joey played the drums really well. And yeah. then he just stopped. And Robbie played the guitar and sang. And then he just stopped. And I was like, what? Stop. <laughs> <laughs> but it took me a while to claim it as a thing. And I remember being in college and talking. Oh, here was another sensor that came up is right when I first ever started thinking about writing stand up. Two things happened. I tried to write an article and submit it to this paper in Charleston, this little like college funny paper. And, you know, probably it was terribly written, but I felt really good about it. Right. And they were just kind of like, nah, you know. Yeah. yeah, but thanks. <laughs> and I was mortified, you know, like, oh my no. God, I thought it was so good and it was nothing. They didn't even no. comment. It was just like, eh, no. Oh, no. And I know, I know. And then I had these roommates and I remember going like, oh, I think I want to try stand up. And they just jumped on me, just like, what? Like, okay, here's here's crazy things that people said to me. You have to be fat if you're a female stand-up comedian. <laughs> Nobody's going to understand what you're doing because you're you, you either have to be angry at men or you have to be a lesbian. You have to be angry at men or a lesbian. Of the time, I guess Sandra Bernhard and then Roseanne. Yeah, Barr. but yeah. my point is like, what a fucked up message that right. is. I'm like. Couldn't I just be funny about stuff that's like in for me? And they were like, no, mm -mm, you'll you'll fail. No, people will expect you to, you know, and I was just like, wow, like no support. So I probably dropped it for another 10 years, wow. like just dropped it and went in a completely different direction. And then my next so a lot of this, if you guys are wondering where this book takes you and why you need to set aside time is if you start writing about where your sensors came from, this opens up a whole box of memories. 
<laughs> you start digging them up. And so I think about from 93 to 2001, I did this job. I sold books door to door. I recruited teams. And the, the, the environment was so intense and focused on success and achievement and money and being number one and all of that. And nobody talked about creative outlets. Sure. It was almost like, oh, there's that little thing you do sometimes. Yeah. You know, hopefully you don't spend too much time on that because then you won't make as much money. And wow. I was like, yeah, but I think I'll die. <laughs> you know, like, so none of you guys, none of you guys want to like <laughs> make each other laugh and write in a notebook and write songs. And, you know, it was so tunnel vision in that organization that it felt not valuable. And it wasn't until I left that organization for the first time that I even started getting, I took a, I think I took a stand-up comedy class in 2001 and ended up just gliding into that world. And that felt like a very brave leap at that time. Sure. Because it's there's there's no one up there you know there's no there's no safety net <laughs> there's yeah. nothing yeah and this started into a whole journey of I had to leave that environment completely but it's still in there sometimes oh, it's, yeah. it's it's like I've rejected it but years of just like well are you going to make any money doing that just that constant question of are you going to make any money doing that and me going no that's not the point. The point is, is this is something I need to slash want to do. Right. So in writing the morning pages and there's this exercise where you like name, name your monsters or you write about your monsters or something. And I thought of this one very specific time where we had, this was at my last, uh, the time I was with this company again in a different capacity. And, um, they needed this fu a funny sketch or something to open up the day, the meeting day, which was like a couple hundred people and speakers. And most of the speakers had prepared their speeches and slides and everything for the last couple of weeks. They all were top performers. So they were told and put in. The but for me, they just called me at like seven o'clock in the morning in the hotel yeah. and said, um, we need you to come up with something funny, like a little sketch for the morning. And I was like, OK, sure. Yeah. So I came, I did this, this little video and, you know, and it was really funny and everybody loved it. And then they're like, okay, thanks. Bye. Right. Um, but I was like, Hey, you know, that's kind of a valuable skill that I have that I could use. I could teach improv classes. I could do this. I could do this. And they were like, Oh no, you're not a top performer. What? So no. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, but that's the point is I have these other skills that could be valuable <laughs> and uh, and they might even be equally as valuable as being a top producer, you know, and it just wasn't seen that way. But then they took that video. A lot of people recorded that little skit that I did and they put it on the website. And I was like, I got to go. <laughs> I, I got to leave this wasn't place. valuable. Oh. No, I know. I was like, Gosh. take it down. Take yeah. it down and I got to go. Because like you don't truly want to value what I find valuable, but you want to use it, you know, and it just bugged the shit out of me. <laughs> and I just held on to it for a while. I was like, ah, fuck you guys. Um, so anyway, I'm learning a lot in this first week <laughs> <laughs> about where some of my sensors have come from. 
Yes. But um, I also have realized that in spite of all of that, I have been quite productive. You know, yeah. in the last 10, 12 years, 20, I have produced some shit. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot of it. Um, okay. So any of your uh, sensors or recurring themes that you want to name? Well, I did name my sensor, Richard. After, <laughs> after an art teacher I had who was just horrible, made me just not want to ever paint again. Oh, and, no. and it was kind of nice naming it Richard because then it became like this little thing outside of myself that is like, oh, well, that's just Richard talking. We don't give yes. Richard any credibility. So he's a jerk. So that's a good when, thing. When did you have Richard? Oh, I had Richard. I was probably even in my 30s. I took some classes like paint oil painting classes, you know? Yes. Yes. One of the teachers and he just really was awful. And I really, that was the only time I've ever questioned. I was like, well, maybe I just really don't want to do this. This is no fun. And then I think after I was done with this class, it was like, no, it was just because of him. It was just the teacher, you know? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I tell you what, it's amazing how a phrase can just get lodged in there. If you're in the right frame of mind and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm still thinking about that. That was 20 years ago or, you know, I, oh gosh, it's so silly. Um, I, mean, I, I hate to say it, but my, you know, your parents are censors. Oh, yes. They, they say stuff. They don't mean to. And, and I'm sure I know. I've, I've ruined my children as well. But, you know, <laughs> I think that's just the circle of life, right? That's <laughs> What we do. circle of life i know so so it used to uh, this this is another thing that i've noticed is um even as a grown ass adult it right. bugs me that my family has never really taken an interest in anything creative that i've ever done like i i it, it's funny to me that i've refrained in stand up about talking about my family very much and then i realized like <laughs> Oh, they're never going to hear it. They would never hear it because they're not <laughs> paying attention. Like they don't care what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> so where that used to be a, a like a bad feeling, now it's a very freeing feeling. Like, yeah. of course I can say whatever I want because they're never going to hear it. Like my dad came up here once and, you know, I've lived in Michigan almost 30 years now, probably about 30 years. Wow. And Nobody from South Carolina has ever really visited just for the heck of it. You know, they've, my mom did actually in the last few years, she's come a couple of times. Um, and then my mom and dad came at some point in like the first or second decade I was here. Um, but one time I had this improv troupe going and when my parents were here, I took them to a couple of improv shows and I'm like, what do you think? And my dad <laughs> said, well, some of those folks were funny, but some were just terrible. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it goes with a show. And he's like, well, you know, most businesses fail in the first five years. Like he was just such a downer all the time about like, you know, you're not disciplined enough to do that. Or you know, even when I was a young like dancer at Miss Marion's, he'd be like, y'all never look like you're having fun. Those shows are too long. <laughs> just a downer. That's so just funny. Just a downer. And I'm like, wow, you know, so because uh, I know he laughed at some things. And it's one of those things when you grow up realizing like, oh, not everybody has to get you. Right. They don't. 
No, nobody in your family has to get you in order for you to continue to produce work. It, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Oh my God. But now it's kind of freeing. It's like, oh, it doesn't matter because they'll never go like, run that, run that bit by me, Shelly. It's never going to happen ever, ever. Um, okay. So we haven't even gotten very far into the book. And I want to talk about creative affirmations and tasks. The thing about the morning pages is you get up every morning, you write three pages, and you're trying to sort of find your way out of these sensors and, and, and find your creative affirmations and things like that. I'm in week three or four, but I might, I, I, maybe I'm only in week two. I've been kind of going through it faster than I wanted to. Are you not, are you going through it faster than by week, than a week? Well, because I was trying to get like a sense of the whole book, you yeah. know, because I wanted to, I, I can't remember if I said this at the beginning, but because I wanted to take more time going through this book, Beth and I are going to talk about it today, a little while longer, and then we're going to come back in 12 weeks, we're going to do it again, yeah, so I can tell her about all the your life. So I can talk about how it's changed my life and everything, but it, but it kind of already has. That's the thing is I was feeling a little stuck. I just went through, I had shows in November and December and January. This is the first couple of weeks since this slew of shows when I didn't have anything that I was actively preparing for. And it just felt weird. You know, it kind of just felt like I'm not really working on anything right now. And that's when I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, got to do something, got to do something. I'm going to move into the way that she lays this out. She starts off calling it spiritual electricity and goes through some basic tools. Then in week one, it's about recovering a sense of safety, like feeling like it's safe to create. Week two is recovering a sense of identity. And we'll talk a little bit about that next. Week three is recovering a sense of power. And that deals with things like shame and criticism and week four is recovering a sense of integrity week five is a sense of possibility week six is abundance week seven is connection week eight is strength nine is compassion 10 is self-protection 11 is autonomy and 12 is faith so as you can see it 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 has words in it that might sound like a self-help book right so mm -hmm. it, it is it, it kind of is but not in the way that you might think of it right it there's not a preachy feeling to it it's more like a mm, unearthing i would say yes she writes an essay and then you have questions at the end of every chapter that make you think about her essay, I guess, or the different points of it, how it relates to you. Yes. Things that have happened in your life. Yes. Yes. You're called to do these assignments. Like for example, in recognizing a sense of safety, every morning you get up, you do your morning pages, you take yourself on an artist date where you go do something silly. You go by yourself, you go to the beach, you go to a museum, you go to a thrift store, you go out with the intention of like paying attention and giving yourself the gift of a little artist date. One of the assignments is live five imaginary lives. So picture yourself doing five different lives than you're living right now and kind of write all about those and see what that unlocks and picture yourself having fun in those lives and it's actually i'm going to ask you when you did the imaginary lives 
What were yours? Oh, I've got actually some of my old notes that I found. I think this was from 2012. I'm going to be able to find it. I remember one of them was a zookeeper. Oh, and my gosh. No, I think that really would have been like spot on for me. <laughs> it's not too late, girl. I know. Get like, a I job. Need, I need to go back to school. Hey, you know what you should do? Oh my gosh, we should go to one of those sanctuaries, those elephant sanctuaries oh. where elephants paint or you I, play. Sorry. I would go. They don't even have to yes. paint. I'll just go to elephant sanctuary. Yes, I think there's one in Thailand. We should do that. We should I, go. I'm, we'll I'm paint bored, if the elephants Jerry. paint. Going but I also it. wouldn't mind seeing like a person in the you know, I've seen on Instagram, like a man sitting there playing the <laughs> piano and the elephants all come up and I'm like, this is the life right here. I know. Playing music for elephants. What There's could be people better? off screen, like pushing the elephants here. Go, go to the piano. <laughs> what about for you? What did you write down? I think, I think about what I would like to do is have a piece of land that was kind of like a creative Airbnb, where if you're visiting there's a lot of Airbnb, but I would want it to be like a property where I can like cook for people. And maybe while they're there, they can have little classes and, you know, where people wanted a different, interesting place to stay and they were in town for some specific reason. And so creating a little place for visiting artists. Okay, so that sounds wonderful. I think that would yeah. be, that would be a hit. I know, right? I've doing? wanted to do that for so long. I think about my parents' land in South Carolina, and they're always like, you have two acres. Whenever you're ready, you can put two acres. I'm like, really? Could I, like, put a stage, grow weed, host retreats? You know, I don't want a house. Like, like I don't, a can, you do house. That? can you do that yeah. in South Carolina? I don't know what the, the law oh my is gosh. in South Carolina. Oh, it's terrible. There's terrible laws, I'm sure. Like I know uh, uh, Danny Ford is a big medical marijuana guy, right? That's Is he really? I think so. Oh, he's wow. one of the first. So they let so many people have permits every year. I think he's one of the sure. first, right? Well, that's cool. I'll have to look into it. I'll have to look into it again because last time I was there, people were still whispering. Like there's CBD stores, but nobody's going like, who grows weed around here? <laughs> you know, like well, Danny Ford. No, I'm just kidding. Danny Ford. Well, I don't know that. I don't know Danny Ford. If you're so listening in South Carolina, we do not know for sure whether or not Danny, Danny Ford. No idea. We're right. making shit up. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Love so, Danny Ford. Yes, that's a fun exercise just because it releases your brain from thinking about, you know, if, if you're in a rut, if you're listening right. and you've been working the same job for however many years, or you've been thinking about yourself in the same way, or you've been the same way in your relationship, and it's really hard to get your brain out of that rut. And then you just do this imaginary exercise of like, what if I was, for example, I saw a friend that I used to sell books with door to door last September, September, 2022. Yes, that's when it was. And I hadn't seen him in about 20 years. Was driving through Asheville on the way back from South Carolina and found out that he was, he had been the postman, like the delivery delivers the mail, um, which I had no idea. But what he was known for in Asheville was running. He was the running postman. 
Oh. He's this happy guy running all over Asheville yeah. delivering the mail. And I'm like, well, that is delightful. You know, like yeah. I just get just such a simple, I'm gonna stay in shape. I'm gonna get to know everybody in the community. I'm gonna be really tied to the community. I'm gonna be, you know, always out and about in town. And it would never have been what I imagined him doing. And it seems like the most perfect fit. And what a just wonderful way to interact with the world. Plus, just be in the thick of it. Just be like, there's going to be dogs and weather and uh, accidents, and everything. Just, but I was like, wow, that sounds kind of fun when I think about it that way. Put that on your list. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, but I, but I've, but I've also done a lot of weird stuff. So, but also when you think of things like that, it's like giving you that permission to dream again. Like when you were a little yes. kid, you know, and before your yes. life was half over, you had all these dreams of I could do this or that, you know? Yes. Yes. I feel really lucky when I think about that, because when I started writing down opportunities I've had, you know, and I got to be an international tour guide and I got to run comedy shows at all these different places and I got to be in a band and I got to live in a bunch of different states with a bunch of different people and win trips and it keeps getting more and more interesting. So that's another thing that I like to think about is, is your life as art, you know, and not a separation. It's not a separation. Over here is my art. That's where my easel is. That's where my keyboard is. That's where my guitar is, whatever. But here's like my life life. That's my creative life. And over the years, my biggest mm, focus, I guess, would be just like, they're just one thing. They're just one thing. This is the life. It's not separate. If you know me this way, you know me that way. Hopefully, hopefully. That sounds, that sounds very good. That sounds like you're living authentically. Yeah. It's always hard to tell though, isn't it? Because like there's that part of your brain going like, you're full of shit. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> the sensor. Okay. Something I wanted to talk about since we're never creating in a vacuum is crazy makers. In the chapter on recovering a sense of identity, there is a little section that really spoke to me called crazy makers. And uh, they are personalities that create storm centers, often charming, inventive, persuasive, charismatic, but out of control. And I have realized over the years that, and seen it in so many different ways, like there's a person, they're very dynamic and they figured out how to put on this production. But the more you work with them, the more you're like, oh, they should not be leading. <laughs> How did they get power? I'm afraid now to be involved in this. Have you experienced that? Oh, yeah. So many, like so many people are crazy makers. And, and it's a little bit, um, I think it's a little bit about codependency too, because like you're almost drawn to a crazy maker in a way because you can sabotage your own creativity by clinging on to a crazy maker. You know, you can totally use that as your excuse for not creating because you've got to do all this other stuff that the crazy maker is wanting you to do. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, the other weird codependent thing too that spoke to me. I'll come back to the crazy maker. Maybe but the next book should be um, 
that codependent book by Melanie Beatty. <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe. But the the one about like someone who really, really wants to be artistic, they really, really want to be artistic, but they're blocked. So they cling to an artistic person and sort of that sabotage. Yes. And realizing, gosh, there's been people in my life that I wouldn't have recognized as such, but they're, they come into my life and I'm always like, oh, thanks. You want to be involved with this project? Come on, let's do it. Yeah. But then they either want to take it or sabotage it a little bit. Like they want it to be theirs entirely or they want to like act like I'm not doing it right. And I'm like, oh, and I spend so much time trying to figure it out, how to adapt to them. And, oh, I'm sorry. Let me re-explain this. Let me do this. Let me do this. And then I'm like, oh, no, I just should not be working with this person. But I, that lesson has been uh, so hard, so hard. And even in the last couple of years, I did a couple of, I did two big events. I'm not going to name them explicitly, but where there was a lot of people involved and a very charismatic leader that just once you got involved and you realize how unorganized it was and how much was expected of you and how little support there was and transparency. And you're like, oh, this is dangerous. <laughs> this is how... Yeah. This is how cults get started, you know, <laughs> but you got to be careful about that. You meet this person who has a reputation for making big things happen and they want to work with you. And then suddenly you're, it's crazy making. So warnings, listeners, here's some signs, <laughs> here's some signs of crazy makers crazy makers break deals and destroy schedules they show up two days early for your wedding and expect to be waited on uh crazy makers expect special treatment like they've vented enormous verbal abuse on people around them and then they just don't feel like they can drive <laughs> so they've shattered everyone else but now they're too upset to drive crazy makers discount your reality Crazy makers spend your time and money. Any of this sounding familiar out there, people? Crazy makers triangulate those they deal with, meaning they will pick little fights inside of a group to make people against each other. They create dramas. They hate order. And here's the thing. If you're right now in a space where you associate a crazy maker as like, oh, well, that person's that way because they're an artist. That might be a belief to let go of <laughs> for yeah. your own sanity. <laughs> because if you, if you think, oh, artists are just crazy like that. And when you work with artists, they're going to be crazy. Not all of them are. Some people are really good to work with. I've worked with really good people before. So if you have a belief right now that every single really great artist has like all kinds of crazy in them and that's why they treat you badly I think you can let go of that belief just gonna say that well that is kind of one of those myths that yes helps maybe to make people think that you're not a real artist especially if you're a sane person or just kind of a normal person like you yes might like oh I'm not a real artist because I'm not a dramatic crazy maker because that, yes yeah, that's kind of glorified if you think about it Totally glorified. She talks about a director that was a crazy maker and the way that he treated people on set. I think she's talking about Stanley uh, Kubrick. Oh, Kubrick. I haven't gotten there yet. I think that's who she's talking about. He's also somebody who's like super respected in Hollywood. And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's the 
I'll just talk about comedy just because I've done this show, 51st Jokes, for I think eight years. It's hard. I was trying to figure it out because we missed two years because of the pandemic. Anyway, around eight years we've been doing this show. And I book 50 comedians. Do that. They do their first new joke of the year. It's about a, a couple weeks ago. And um, the first couple of years, I just, people signed up. They came. We did it. But about three or four years in, I realized, oh, if there's crazy makers within a cast of 50 that haven't been sussed out, it really amps things up backstage. You know, there's like a love triangle. And then all of a sudden somebody over here is really drunk and blaming somebody no. for something. And then somebody thinks they stole that joke. And you're just like, oh, this is a storm back here, you know? Right. So as part of not wanting to be a crazy maker, a few years, uh, you know, the next year that I produced the show, I got together with some people who run shows in Michigan and asked them, like, basically, I would get all these requests. There's 55-ish spots, including alternates. But I usually, cast, you know, get requests from about 90 people or something. So I have to filter through them. And if I've never heard of them, I send this list out to a group of people that I trust and say, hey, have you heard of these people on the scene? You know, or any of them crazy. And um, including like they sexually harass people, they they bully, sure. they they drink too much, they sure. are assholes on stage, whatever. And if somebody shows up on two or three different lists, you know, you you kind of have to believe it. And yeah. it, the first year I did that, it felt a little cruel. And then I realized like, oh, no, That's you have smart. to protect the space. You yeah. have to protect the space, you know. So sometimes I think. If you're a person who's dealing with that kind of art, with like leading a band or be directing a play or something like that, or teaching a class, in order to keep everybody in a creative safe space, you really do have to deal with the crazy makers yes. on that level and say, I get it. You're super talented. But even in like civic theater and Ann Arbor civic theater, I've had to kick people out of civic forever. Oh, like, I get as it. A yeah. Since I've lived you, here, I've done a lot of community theater yeah. and crazy makers will totally, they can just make so much drama that it ruins everybody's experience. I think it comes oh from gosh. a place of like really big insecurity. Oh, because, yes. You know, you've got a, I don't know, you're compensating or something. Yes. I oh, think yes. Of it in my own personal life, like I can think of so many people that I have spent time on because they were crazy makers and I accommodated them. Yes. And that was a good way to avoid making art or being an artist or doing. Oh my gosh. Do because, you know, I have to be over here and do this for this person because they don't have a car this week. And obviously I have to drive. I'm the only one who can drive them, you know, <laughs> to oh where they go, that sort of thing. Oh but I mean, my gosh. Also, I mean, am I a crazy maker? Because that's also my own fault, right? For right. Well, the the, avo the avoidance habit of like, I can be artist adjacent and, and satisfy that need until I get my shit together enough to work on my own, blah, 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 whatever it is. But I think as of late, unless it happened accidentally, where like I didn't know until I was committed, one of the biggest things in the last couple of years has been, I, I, I think I used to just be like, yes, that's an opportunity to do whatever. Yes, I want to be on that little show or I want to do that. Da, da, da. And, and then you'd find yourself like, oh, they're not doing this well. Yeah. <laughs> Why did I say yes to this? <laughs> and it's just been in the last four or five years that I've been like, 
Yeah, let me look at my schedule. Let me think about that. Let me look into what else I'm working on. Mm -hmm. Well, just because all of a sudden you're in it. I I get into it. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll drive to this rehearsal 40 minutes away and do this thing. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is super lame. (laughs) (laughs) Why did I commit to this person? And then you realize, oh, because they asked me confidently. Like that skill of just... I think what some of the crazy makers have going for them, and again, stay away from the crazy makers, identify them, remove yourself. But I think the reason why we can forgive ourselves for getting sucked in is because of the boldness. It's like someone who really doesn't have a super good thing going on, any kind of pure creative idea that they're working on, but they're really good at enrolling other people into their excitement. Yes. And- and you don't realize until you get into it that it's house of cards, you know, and there was a big group of people, almost like a conglomerate cooperative type arts organization that I was hanging out with a lot last year and the internal drama. I was on the outside just like, oh, I'll help with this event and oh, I'll come to that event and oh, I'll promote that event. And, you know, just like because it was good people. But once I started getting more towards the middle of the group, that was one of those where I thought, oh, this is how cults are formed, you know, (laughs) where you're like, hey, do you want to do this? And I'm like, oh, no, that sounds, that's a bit much. But it's wonderful because those people are, it's like, I guess it's that fine line. How do I achieve that level of like bold confidence to enroll people in my ideas without, and that's one of the fears that you have to address in the I don't, I can't remember what section it's in. It's like, what is the, maybe that's one of my uh, sensor type things is when I start getting into the role of being a leader or a boss, mm-hmm. I start feeling so weird. Yeah. How does everybody feel about me? Are they telling me the truth? Are things going to plan? Do people think I should be doing more? Do people think I should be doing less? Like, woo, that just comes, that comes out of nowhere. And I get, I'll give you an example. So in November, I did the show. I did a Bonnie Raitt tribute show on her birthday, on Bonnie Raitt's birthday in November. I haven't led a band yeah. in, you know, I'm 51, too, at this at time when I start doing this. I've been in bands. I've sang. I've sang backup, whatever. But all of a sudden, I was like, yay, this is going to happen. We're going to do this uh, Bonnie Raitt tribute show. And I love her. And I'm going to get all these people together that know what they're doing. And it's going to be awesome. And then as it got closer, my self-doubt and just like, oh my gosh, the triggers, the like, am I doing things right? Do people trust me? Is this going to work? Was this stupid? Is anybody going to come? Am I going to lose my ass? And da, 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 like took over me just, ah, instead of me so just learning the songs and doing the songs, it it was just taking over. And I had to... That was a lot of work to get really to get my head through. None of that matters. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do this because it sounded fun. I'm going to keep doing it because it sounds fun. I'm going to keep doing it as if it's all going to work out and as if it's all going to be fine. You weren't, you know, you said you always have had this writing practice and you weren't like writing, you know, so-called morning pages because you hadn't read the book yet. Right, right, right. But did that help you? Like, were you kind of writing your way through it? And that did that help you realize, yeah, always. like, oh, this is happening and I'm having this imposter yes. syndrome, but it's not real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because I had to, what I had to do, have you ever heard of fear casting or uh, catastrophic visualization? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, so instead of imagining- yes, the news, like, every night. I the news. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it's like, let's say there's something you really are fearing, right? Like this production I'm working on is going to fail, or I'm going to put up this gallery show and everybody's going to just think it's so mediocre or whatever it is. Um, so the, the practice is picture the worst possible thing happening. So for me, it's like the weather's terrible that night. No one comes of the people that come. They're really unresponsive. Like some people just leave. I lose money. I'm not oh, able no. to pay the band. <laughs> I'm not able to pay the band. I don't remember any of the words. I can't sing. Somebody quits last minute. Like just it's going crazy. And so I sat down and I was like, well, what would this be like? Like if this show is on Wednesday and I wake up on Thursday and it, it just sucked, it just sucked and everybody hated it and they hate me. What would I do on Thursday? And if you can think of, of just waking up on Thursday and being fine, like, because who really cares? Nobody's thinking about that more than me. This is true. Right? Nobody would even know. Nobody, nobody would even know. They wouldn't even be thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. Nobody came. How was your show? I'd be like... That's fine. Isn't that great? People would be like, oh, anyway, what else is going on? Want to go get lunch? Like once I realized that the worst part of it would be like me losing a certain amount of money and I'm like, well, I can make that money up. Y you know, it was kind of like, well, fuck it then. You know, I really have nothing to be scared of because if the worst possible thing happened, I'd be fine. That's true. I'd be fine. I'd be slightly embarrassed and I'd probably have to rebuild some bridges with some artists or something that participated, but I'm like it's on them too. They could have been promoting it, you know. I know, I know. But it went it went great and it went fine. But but the writing, I so so the way that I've used not so much morning pages, but just writing before is like a, write out all the negative things you're saying and then literally cross through them and write a different sentence underneath. Yeah. So like I have no business headlining the art as a singer but that's no way to go into a show where you're headlining right. the art as a singer so so I you know cross through it and put the art believes in me enough to give me a headlining show and I believe in myself that much you know just like they could have said no to me they know me <laughs> they've seen me before they could have said no they say no lots of people so like they believe in myself I believe in myself fuck it and like also yeah but it's, it's kind of a, it, I guess, I guess one of the things about going through this book is, is honoring the idea that even if you're a person who has a pure artistic heart and you've been creating forever, the disciplines of honoring your creative practices has to be stoked. Yes. Yeah. You can't let it wither on the vine. No, because the world wants you to be a content consumer, but in reality, you, you're a content creator. And if you don't do it, then you just feel bad and it builds up. And I mean, now we have more content than ever, right? Yes. And you're just sitting there scrolling yourself into brain deadness, I guess, but yes, got to do it. Yeah. It's the worst. Bring it back to the crazy makers. Yes. The uh, term energy vampire. Have you heard that? Like, oh, yeah. And kind of tossed around. I don't know in what places, but I think a crazy maker is that like 
if an extrovert is somebody that kind of gets their energy from other people, then that's what crazy makers are doing. You're, they are probably very blocked creatives themselves and mm -hmm. not doing what they need to do. But if you create all this drama, then that is, that I mean, that is creation, right? So that isn't a self in itself. Oh my God. For you and everyone else and you don't even probably, they probably don't even realize they're doing it. Oh my gosh. I have never until this moment thought about someone who's like a drama creator, like as a blocked creator, like I'm not creating the thing I want to create. So I'm just going to create nonsense drama. Yeah. Because I've got to be sidetracked by this, distracted by this. So I don't think about like how I'm not doing what I really should be doing in my life. Yeah. I think when I am in situations where I personally am a crazy maker or I'm making things crazy, it's because mm -hmm. I really should be over here in my own lane doing my stuff <laughs> so that I can stay out of other people's stuff. Yes, 100%. I think there's a weird thing of, I don't want to become a crazy maker, but I also don't want to doubt myself within the scene. Like if I can participate... I want to. I want to be a non-crazy, supportive adjunct to a creative scene if I'm not, you know, if I'm not in the show, like you want to paint on the scenery, right? And you probably just like painting on the scenery with other people that like painting on the scenery and it's fun That's to paint exactly with each it. other. That's I'm just exactly trying to find other artists, other people that are creatives to connect with because- yes. I hate to admit this, but I honestly, even though I cannot tell you how many hours over the past, probably I think 2017 was when we started that I have painted sets and been involved in the theater and like things that I never would have done. Mm -hmm. And it's been really fun because of the people, yes. but I'm not like a theater person, right? I've just been right. searching like I'm trying to find my people. Yes. And well, it's it's because it. it's because some people are doing it to create drama within the scene and be a crazy maker, and other people have pure intentions, right? So yeah. that was a hard thing. It, like if you do something over years, like be a scene yeah. painter in community theater, you start to be able to identify why people are doing what they're doing in every scene. In every scene, that discernment, that person who goes, can I help out with the show? And you go, yeah, you know, I need this and this and this and this. And you can tell either they just want to be like crazy artist adjacent and be like cool and backstage. Then there's that other person who's like, I've got clipboards. I've got tape. I've got chapstick for you. I've got a bottle of water. I've got two extra cell phones, you know, and you're like, that's my person. That is my person. That person who's supportive and like scene adjacent, but not just because they want to be. Uh, the person that you're... comes in and says, I'm doing this. And you're like, oh, who are you? Okay. Great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it, 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 there's a weird thing about trust because we can be starry-eyed. I just finished, um, have you watched that show Daisy Jones and the Six? No. Okay. So I just watched it in the last few days and there's just one season and it's kind of, you know, 70s band. It's based on a book and 
these artists that become front people and the drama surrounds the band. And it's a story that you've seen a lot of bands rise and fall in movies. I've seen a lot of bands rise and fall in real life because of what's going on within the band, substance abuse, love affairs, like all of it. It's very real and true, but it's amazing to watch it and be like, there they go again. Now, as an adult with perspective, you can go, oh, look at that cute, sweet girl just walking into that trap. (laughs) (laughs) going to drink too much and then they're going to hook up and then it's going to make things weird and then oh you know but when you're in it like you don't see and I picture myself over the last few years letting people into my circle that then blew my mind when they did something weird to me you know where I was like no. <laughs> I didn't see that coming my partner Paul at the time I remember this one woman that I was working with he was like you're not seeing her clearly. Oh. And I said, oh, what do you mean? She's so helpful and she's so good. Yeah. And she's helping me out. She wants to be part of my project. And that's what I've been praying for. I've been praying for people to help me out. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I'm just telling you that she has ulterior motives and da 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 And he was so right. And I was yeah. just so, like, I'm so into people wanting to join in the fun that sometimes I'm blind to it. Like completely, like oh, so. That's nice when you have somebody though that can be like uh, this person is not, like you know, can yeah. see it without the story or whatever that you're putting on it. I know, but I also think like, well, he thinks everybody's an asshole. <laughs> he doesn't like anybody, you know. Like, of course, he doesn't like this person yeah. because he doesn't like people. But also, he knew he was right. And I look back on it now to these things that, um, oh my gosh, there's too much to talk about with this book. That is just for sure. We could talk forever. How can we wrap up this section? Mm-mm-mm. Let's see. I think this um, book is for people who you feel called to something creative, or if you are somebody creative and you feel blocked, even yeah. I mean, it's right now it's January. This could be yeah. a good time to start something if you yep. feel like you need a change for the year. Yes. You feel like you need to be in the practice of being more intentional. Yes. Yes. I think it would help. I think, I mean, you're doing great to do it by yourself. I always have a lot more success when I've done it with other people because then I'm accountable and I have to do it. The whole way yeah. through when I've done it by myself, I think I'll get a few weeks in and then I get sidetracked. But that's well, I want to do it. I, I want to do it. That's why I wanted to talk to you about it. And I want to, if you're open to it, I want to keep sharing my insights with you, you know, because just this week I've realized I was trying to write a vision. I was trying to write a vision for the company I work for and comedy goals and like all these things, right? And I met with a group of women, a couple of groups of women that wanted to like do a vision writing session. And we talked about everything, but it it felt very surfacey the first day. And because yeah. I was getting over a cold and I was tired. And then it, it in the last week, it's gotten deeper. And I realized I want to set bigger, very specific creative goals this year. And one of them is to find like a cre- a couple of creative collaborators that just that it's like really fun to work with. Like they get me, I get them, we're professional, ideas flow well, 
we make each other better. You know, I want to find a few people this year to work with like that, right? In whatever. I'm open to like whatever. Yeah. We're yeah. writing funny songs. We're working on a show where I'm the assistant director and they're the production managers, like whatever. But I want that kind of creative collaboration. I want to like call that into existence. And I want to, the other big create specific creative goal is to spend more time like writing, like fully writing. I, I write all the time, but it's like notes in my phone, notes in that notebook, notes in that notebook. And then if I, if I get to go do a set or something, it's this frantic accumulating of all of the things to try to get a set together when I should just have a writing habit. Like sit so one one of the gifts I'm gonna give myself because it's a snow day is I'm gonna I'm gonna be inside all day. There's no going anywhere right now. And I'm gonna go through my phone notes and my notebooks and all the like jottings of comedy from the last few weeks and get it all fleshed out. Just honor it. You know, it's ridiculous. Sitting down to write comedy just feels absurd. You're thinking about the stupidest things and you're trying to find some stupid twist on it. And like, why is this important? But it is, you know, because I appreciate everybody that makes me laugh and I think it's important. So I'm going to give myself permission to do that. And then I'm going to, I have this painting. I took this painting class like an online painting class and started a painting and got about three quarters of the way through. And it's been sitting on an easel in my room for months now. And everybody that could see it in the background would always be like, Oh, what's that you're working on? Oh, that looks great. (laughs) And then I was just like, Oh yeah, I stopped, you know, why wouldn't I just do it again? Just because I haven't picked up a paintbrush. Okay. So that's things you could hold me accountable to over the next couple of months. Yes. And if you're listening and there's something creative you want to be held accountable to, or you want to start reading the book and talking about it, you want somebody to hold you accountable. I would love to hear from you because that is the deal. This year, I want to more creatives in my life, more, but more time. Like they're in my life, but I want to spend time talking about it, working together, things like that. What about you? What are your goals? I have things that I have committed to through. Okay. So with the theater and the okay. theater takes a lot of time and it is something that I used to love. And I hate to say this out loud. I don't love it as much anymore because simply I, I just think there's other things I want to do with my time or I need to do. Yeah. Okay. But I have some things that I've committed to for that, that I want to be hundred percent with. And then mm-hmm. I have a painting series that I've had in my head forever. <gasps> got to, I've got to do it. And I have a friend of mine, we were talking about um, doing a podcast and we've okay. got, like recorded a couple episodes. And so I need to spend more time with that. So I've got some things like that, that, I want to do. And I also would love to in uh, Germany, I would like to find an artist group or make a group of artists, you know, that could meet and just sort of have similar things. I, like I said, I've been so into theater because they are creative people. And Mm -hmm. so it's been fun, but they really love theater. And I, Oh yeah. 
and I want to do more, like I want to be with people who want to paint more or, you know what I mean? Yes, or we're yes, all doing, yes. Like we're trying to figure out classes or things like that, but more with painting, less with yeah, theater. Yeah, yeah, But I do, I do love my theater people. But um, here, actually, you can kind of see this. I'll show you, Shelly. Yeah, what is it? What is it? What's that? This is a painting I started. I've had this this idea <gasps> of paintings forever, and I truly- Is it a crane? It is a flamingo. Oh. It's going to be like, uh, just, you can't even see it. But anyway, it's a- Oh, yes, the faces. Yeah, it's a series based on John James Audubon. And I kind of feel like it's one of those things where um, you get these ideas, and if you don't act on them, then if we're talking about the creator, the spirit is going to pass that idea on to somebody else, like if you don't do it. So I feel like I need to just finally do it. It's kind of one of those things, like if you think or, or you've heard, I'm sure, like the thing you need to do is the thing you fear most. And that's the thing I fear most because that will take any kind of skill. Um, so like the things that I've done for the theater, we painted like a big 15 foot by 30 foot painting of mountains, which is good and it's helpful as far as your skill, but that's totally different than painting a portrait of somebody's face, right? Yes. Oh, yes. So it's kind of one of those things I'm, I think I keep putting it off because I don't know if I really have the chops for it, but I just need to do it. Yeah. Or it's going to be that idea will get passed on to somebody else. I think, I, I think oh. I've had that happen before, like with inspiration. And if you don't act yes. on it, you kind of lose it. And then somebody else, I think it gets passed on to maybe the next person who will carry it through. I don't know. Oh my gosh. I need to wrestle with that thought in my head a little bit because, uh, because there is something in the book about like, oh, that person did my idea. <laughs> and you go, oh, that person did my idea. It's like, well, everybody has ideas. Everybody has ideas, but I kind of, in a lot of ways, I kind of feel like, like, oh, we're giving you these, you know, who is it? Yes. The angels or I don't know what you believe, but anyway, I know up there going, here's an idea. Here are these ideas. Who's I know. I know. But also it's like, everybody has ideas. The person that acts on it gets it, period. Right. You yeah. know, so people are like, I was going to do that. It's like, well, you didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you didn't. I know. And that's, that's, I, th I think one of the, um, oh my gosh. Okay. So I'm going to try to wrap this up. I'm going to try to wrap, or I'm going to try to bring us in, I guess, because obviously the artist way is a book that if you're an artist, it's going to bring up a lot of thoughts about things you're doing, things you want to do, things you wish you had done, what's in the way it's going to bring out habits that hopefully lead you into sort of a bolder, creative way of being. Okay. But also it's so much to talk about that we could talk about it for 12 straight weeks. <laughs> so we will have another show on this, but hopefully you are thinking right now about you wanted to make these buttons or you wanted to create this frame for something that your kids did, or you wanted to uh, do a mural in somebody's room, or you wanted to write a song, or you wanted to pick up the banjo again, or whatever it is, and you're wondering why it feels unimportant. So I think this book is for you. Before... You really want to do something, but you just can't give yourself permission to do it. Yes, yes, for sure, for sure. Or you're doing stuff, and you just want to be 
freer and clearer and more confident about it and sort of root out some of those underlying things. Okay, so my accountability I put down for yours was your theater commitments, your painting series, the Audubon thing, and your podcast episodes. Mine were specific creative collaborations and specific the painting creative that you want to finish. Oh, the painting I want to finish. Yes. And, and and two beliefs that I'm trying to shift right now that are that just keep I feel like they I wake up in the morning and they're smacking me in the face. Uh-oh. One is sometime in the last five or six years, I had convinced myself that I can't go out and perform very much because the stress of it makes me sick. Okay. And this belief is like, oh, I'm driving in the snow and it makes me nervous. And then I get there and there's a bar and it's a bar full of strangers and I don't want to drink, but then there's like nothing else to do. So then I drink and then I'm nervous because I drive, I drive home in the snow. And then all these people are so nervous around me and like, I get stressed out and then I get sick. Right. And then I don't really feel like going and doing it, but I feel like I should. So I push myself and then I push myself too far and then I don't get enough sleep. And so I've got it in my head that the creative habits that I want to pursue are unhealthy. And what I need to believe is that there is a way to do it that works for me and that I can handle it because I'll be more prepared. I can handle because I have friends in the scene that I trust to support me. I can handle it because I'm taking care of myself all the time and listening to what I need. I need to let go of that big time. And I also need to let go of the trust issues of, because I want more collaboration and I want more, this year I had a good run of people jumping in on projects and being good, Mm -hmm. being like helpful team members instead of crazy makers. But there was major trust issues for me to get over. Because I had to be like, I don't know, is this going to be one of those things? But I want to be, I want to open my trust up, trust myself to know who to trust, basically, to work with. I love talking to you about this. It feels very comfortable. And just a reminder that Beth and I haven't spoken to each other in probably 25 years, years. at least 25 years. That's so hard to believe. I know Although it's so think, hard to believe. Yeah, even it's, though I see you on social media. So then I feel like, okay, well, I kind of know what you're, you know, I know what you're talking about. I've seen you post about the 51st jokes and I see. Right, the right, right. So, and I thought for some reason, I thought you'd been in Germany for like 16 years. I don't know why. I don't know, but I'm not good with time. I'm just not good with time. But I've always, I've, I tell you, I've just always been so happy to see that you're still painting all the time. It just makes me feel so good. I'm like, oh my God, please don't stop painting. Because you see people just go like, oh no, I never do that thing anymore. And some people, I guess, just lose interest in blank. But others, I feel like, oh, that used to make you happy. And now I'm concerned for you. But you're always painting and it makes me so happy. Oh, I was going to ask that. And I'm glad that actually that you're involved in theater and that um, is interesting what you were saying before about how you changed your college major, because I remember in high school, you performed this one person. We did one play or whatever. It was the only play that happened our entire high school career. Right. There was, there were no arts right in the high school, but I remember everybody was just blown away. So I'm so glad that you're still performing. Right. I was pregnant. I think I was like, 
yeah. I was having a baby. It, it's burned into my memory. I remember that. I mean, it was just like, it was like, what? Oh my God. It was so amazing. It was I remember really my teachers, amazing. my teachers were like, wow, <laughs> that was weird. Yeah. It's weird that's seeing so you do good. that. Wow. Well, that's good. To, I forgot about that. But I remember the fact that that was our one and only play series of monologues. Yeah. Wow. Well, thanks for saying that. Yeah, I forgot all about that. Yes. So we are going to check in with each other. I'm going to make a note about it. If you're listening, message me. Let me know what you're working on, what you would like encouragement about. I would love to know. Do you, you have like me- a, I know you have a reads and uh, weeds and reads instagram facebook, facebook instagram yeah instagram, you have instagram, like facebook. Or people the bigger thoughts about what i do like leveling up the things i'm already doing in certain ways it's been easy you keep doing it you get smarter bit by bit things get bigger over time you learn how to save time this and that but with reads and weeds i would love to be much more connected to people talking about books yeah because when i go out and about in michigan or at a cannabis event people will see me and be like oh i listened to that i read that book i did da, 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 da. and yeah. that's great but i can't feel it so i want yeah. more communication with because I just want to talk about books and art and things like that all the time with people who think it's really important to do that for, for their own life. And so that's another kind of area of growth. Cause I want to read, I'm going to read all the time. I'm going to smoke weed, but it's the, the reason why I initially set up this podcast is because I wanted a way to put a lot of things under one umbrella you know, want to talk with friends, want to have better conversations. I want to read more. I want to use my brain more, you know, all of that kind of landed under this one umbrella and kind of rolled in criminal justice reform so that I could promote criminal justice reform and things like that, plant medicine, et cetera. So for the record, I had a uh, weed little combo of lime cake, golden papaya, and mafia funeral (laughs) in my little pipe. The golden papaya was one of my favorite growers that I work with sometimes who just, his plants are so beautiful. And then winewood, winewood lime cake in Ann Arbor, they grow and process and sell and everything in the same place. And it always smells so good in there and they do good work. So shout out to them and the unnamed favorite grower who just does not want to be named. So but know if you're listening that you're my favorite grower, <laughs> golden <laughs> papaya. Yes. Okay, everybody. This has been Shelly Smith in Michigan and Beth Doherty in Say the Name of Your Town. Kaiser Slautern. Kaiser Slautern. Thank you, Shelly, for talking to me. <laughs> you're so welcome. I'm going to leave on the, the video so I can show you the snow here in just a minute. But everyone... Thanks so much for listening to us talk about Julia Cameron's The Artist Way. Bye.